listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I ran across... uh, Sorry. Oh, there I am. I ran across a great social media post in the last week from uh, a young uh, Muslim man named Mohammed Hussein, who was, I think, living in England and experiencing his first Christmas. And uh, he shares some uh, fascinating insights, uh, kind of funny ones too. Uh, Growing up, my Muslim family never celebrated Christmas. This year, I'm not going home because pandemic. So my roommates are teaching me how to have a proper first Christmas. I'm approaching this with anthropological precision. Here are a few observations. One, Christmas is a part-time job that you have from mid-November through the end of December. From the outside looking in, Christmas always seemed pretty simple. I thought you just put up a tree and gave gifts to family. This is a lie. Do you want to sleep in on Saturday? Too bad, you have to put up lights inside the house. Want to sleep in on Sunday? Too bad, put up lights outside the house. Next weekend? No, every free moment will be spent agonizing over the gifts that you must purchase. Observation two, people have very strong feelings about their Christmas traditions. If someone insists that some certain food is what you have for Christmas morning because that's their family tradition, do not suggest alternatives. They will stab you in the neck. (laughs) Observation three, you can buy yourself a gift, but you cannot stuff your own stocking. I don't understand this one, but my roommates, uh, I told my roommates I bought stuff for my stocking and they said, that's not a thing. I don't care. I bought myself mint chapstick, and I will fake surprise. (laughs) And then he goes through several more observations about how the gifts have to be wrapped, and uh, how much we spend, and uh, interestingly, how the religious aspect of Christmas is totally optional. And then he concludes with this. To wrap things up, I want to applaud longtime Christmas celebrators. This is a lot of work and very tiring. I will say I'm having a pleasant time. I'm learning that I enjoy Christmas music and gift purchasing. I'm also learning that I do not enjoy peppermint. (laughs) You know, navigating through our own expectations at this time of year can be a little exhausting, much less trying to please everyone in our family and all the people that we're connected with and who we need to provide gifts for and uh, all of that. And if Christmas season weren't wearying enough, there's all the other things going on this year. You guys remember, right? Like global pandemic, social upheaval, economic turmoil, divisive politics, uh, uncertainty, trying to figure out virtual school and virtual work and concern that we have for family and neighbors and people that are distant from us and health worries. 
people have suggested some different taglines to kind of summarize this last year. Dumpster fire comes to mind. 2020, one star, would not recommend. Maybe what Mohammed Hussein shared kind of sums it up. This is a lot of work and very tiring. And it's not just what's been happening to us this year. I mean, I realize it's also what's happening in me that's a lot of work and very tiring. With all the stresses and the challenges of this year, has anyone else felt like even just the ordinary stuff is hard? It's hard to get through. And then anything that gets added onto that, it just feels overwhelming. And if you're like me, what can come out of that is impatience or frustration or resentment. And then to deal with all that, we can come up sometimes with unhealthy or unhelpful coping mechanisms like, you know, just retreating. Anyone else spending more time on the couch? Or distracting ourselves. Anyone spending more time on their phone, more time on the internet, more time on TV? Or we just disconnect, we pull back, or we just drop out and say, I, I, I can't, I'm done. I'm tired of everything that's going on, right? Tired of Zoom, tired of not seeing people that I want to see, tired of me and how I'm handling it. Well, we're starting a new series this week uh, that will go over the next uh, month and a half or so through the chapters of Isaiah 40 and up through 49, God's word to the weak and the weary, to sinners and sufferers, to the helpless and to people in need of hope. That's a word that I want to hear. And if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Isaiah 40 in your Bibles or pull that up on your phone or whatever you use to access God's word. The big idea that we want to see today is a pretty simple one. Comfort comes from seeing God's heart. Comfort comes from seeing and knowing who God is for us. Did you notice that's the first thing that comes out in this passage? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice, which in ancient literature was the way of emphasizing something, to, to repeat it. But right away, we need to make sure we understand what this means, because comfort in contemporary English can maybe lead us down the, the wrong path. For us, comfort is soothing, right? It's, it's something that eases pain and makes us feel better. If somebody says, I want you to be comfortable, what would that look like for you? Because I might think of uh, maybe going on a, a walk in, in the woods or a hike in the mountains or uh, reading a good book or lying down for a Sunday afternoon nap. Maybe for you it's a day at the spa or there's some place in your house or, or a vacation that you go to or music you listen to or uh, a pet that you have or some special food or a hobby. Maybe it's nostalgia. Longing for the good old days when the Colts were Super Bowl champions, or maybe it's the hope of the second coming of Peyton Manning, and you know we'll, we'll have those days again. What does comfort look like for you? What Isaiah is talking about is something 
so much richer and deeper. The, the Hebrew word here actually connects to the English, the old English Latin root in comfort. The, the center of it is fortis, strength. To encourage, it's instilling security and confidence. And what God is saying to his prophet is, encourage my people, strengthen them. In the middle of discouragement, help them see me, help them see my heart, help them know me in a way that will strengthen them. Because the context is important here. Just a very quick summary. 39 chapters, the first 60% of Isaiah is a word of judgment and condemnation and rebuke. And God warning his people about how their sins are heading them towards destruction. And then in chapter 40, there's this this big shift in a couple of ways. Uh, It becomes a book less of narrative and kind of more poetic now. But more importantly, it skips forward about 150 years. See, Isaiah is, in his own lifetime, speaking in the reigns of uh, King Hezekiah is at the end of chapter 39. But from chapter 40 on, after warning about this judgment that God's bringing in a future captivity, Isaiah is now speaking to the people living in exile. Now, scholars don't agree whether it's Isaiah himself who is inspired by a prophetic vision of the future and sort of carried there by the Lord, or whether it's Uh, maybe later prophets who were also inspired to carry on Isaiah's message in that exile community. But in any case, God's people are plagued with uncertainty and, and questions that only God can answer. Has God abandoned us? Does God care what's going on? Can he do anything? Will he do anything? And these chapters from Isaiah 40 on are God's emphatic answer of yes, yes to all of the above. And not just to that exile generation, but to us, to God's people. He says, comfort my people, strengthen them, encourage them. I am for them. I'm coming to deliver them. I'm coming to enable you for whatever comes into your lives, whatever you're facing, I am with you, I am for you. For you, God says. He wants to deliver us. He wants to help us, Isaiah says. And he can and he will. And in the rest of our time this morning, we want to look at just two two big ways in this passage that Isaiah wants us to be comforted as we see God's heart, to be strengthened. And Isaiah, I think, is saying, first of all, comfort comes from seeing God's goodness. Comfort, encouragement comes from seeing God's goodness. Did you notice in the beginning of this message that God is not giving some generic message to anyone and everyone in the world? Just, you know, don't worry, it'll all work out. No, it's, it's this profoundly covenant relationship, relational language. I've got a message for my people, says your God. This message comes out of connection and care and knowing and being known and and God's personal concern for those who love and trust him. And look at what he says. Cry to her in verse 2. 
that her warfare is ended. Now, most commentators point out that that word warfare, and maybe even in some of your translations, it could be rendered hardship or difficulty or ordeal. It's not just specifically about something related to military battles. Maybe there are a few people in this congregation who are of a generation that could tell us what it was like to have heard the news that World War II was ended, that peace was suddenly announced. I mean, it must have been amazing news, right? Especially for people who had loved ones fighting overseas or people who were subject to rations or maybe even people who were subject to the fear of Nazi occupation. Picture the Lord saying to his people, to his exiles, the the war is over, the battle is won. I, I have gained the victory for you. The ordeal is over. What amazing news. And look at what he goes on to expand that, and that her iniquity, her sin, her guilt, is pardoned. Now, iniquity here, we need to understand, it's not just you know, a little slip-up. It's not having a bad day. We're talking about in this context, centuries of disobedience and rebellion and injustice and violence and oppression and a rejection of God, a turning away from him that's been building and building and building. And we're supposed to understand that God is patient. He is slow to anger. He holds back his judgment, but his mercy, his goodness, His kindness flow out of him naturally. It is his default. And God says to his people out of his goodness, I will not count against you year after year after year of rebellion and sin and rejection. The debt, the penalty of your sin has been paid. In fact, he goes on to say, what almost sounds maybe the opposite, that she, that Jerusalem, my people, have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, there's a couple of things this could mean, and maybe it's both of them. You know, in the Old Testament law, a thief was required to pay back double what they stole. If you stole a lamb, you had to pay back two lambs as restitution. And in a sense, certainly these people in exile are experiencing the natural consequences for their rejection of God and his law and his ways. And if that's what Isaiah is saying here, God is simply doing what justice demands, that they have paid back double for what they owe. But I I don't think that's it, or I don't think that's all that's happening here. They, They haven't made restitution, if you think about it. They've piled up, again, violence, brutality, rejection, idolatry, the grossest immorality, year after year after century after century. We don't deserve anything like what our sins deserve. Especially not for all our sins. All our sins, Isaiah says. 
Our sin is not paid for by our suffering. Did you notice how the message was delivered to God's people in the middle of verse, at the beginning of verse 2? Speak tenderly, speak kindly, speak gently to Jerusalem, the personification of God's people. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a child that gets sent to his bedroom for uh, fighting with his siblings and disobeying his parents and, and breaking the house rules. And, and you go up to the child and you say, oh, oh, come here, come sit on my lap. It's okay, it, it's over, I love you. It's time to come downstairs. You speak tenderly to the disobedient child because whatever punishment the child is getting they're not paying for their wrongs. Do you hear the voice of God bringing encouragement and comfort? You know, I think some of us know in our heads, the Bible says that if we've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that, that we truly are forgiven. But we might still picture God, you know, kind of folding his arms, maybe rolling his eyes, okay. I guess Jesus died for you. I guess I have to forgive you. No. Do, do you hear God speaking tenderly to you? My child, my son, my daughter. It is paid for. Your sin is covered. He speaks tenderly. Now, maybe we don't draw the connection that these people naturally would between disobedience and suffering for sinful choices. And that was a natural conclusion for God's people because he told them that's what would happen. If you are suffering for sinful choices, God is not making you pay somehow. He's not turned away from his people and their disobedience. They're the ones who have turned away from him and brought judgment on themselves. And, and of course, weariness, suffering, Discouragement are certainly not always the cause of, or caused by our sin, but sometimes they are. And maybe it's worth reflection. Have I been foolish and disobedient and set myself against the way that God designed me in the world to run? Maybe I'm suffering, maybe I'm weary because of sin. But sometimes weariness and suffering come from someone else's sinful choices or, or simply living in a broken and sin-filled world. And that means your weariness, your suffering, is definitely not because God is displeased with you. Can you hear Isaiah's message and, and remind yourself of the deep, deep goodness of God? He speaks tenderly to you. His heart towards you is good, and his word to you is not to burden you, not to give you more things to do, but to give you strength and hope, fresh strength. And, and we'll look at that more next week in the end of Isaiah 40. The third maybe be good for us to reflect on how God has given you hope and encouragement and strength this year. Because regardless of what this year has looked like, maybe, you know, the, the challenge has sort of inspired you this year. And it's made you say, boy, I really want to lean into making sure that I am living for God in the middle of all these trials. That is awesome. And praise God for that. And maybe for some of us, 
It's just felt like, man, getting to the end of December itself is an accomplishment. And that endurance itself is a gift of God's goodness and sustaining. God wants to comfort, to strengthen your heart as you see his goodness. But then also, comfort comes from seeing God's greatness. Comfort comes from seeing God's greatness. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough place is plain. Now the image here is one that uh, people in that ancient world would be familiar with, making a royal highway for the approach of a king. You know, we might say turn off the stoplights and uh, redirect traffic and fill in every pothole and hang out all the flags and banners and, and a ticker tape parade, make things ready for this visiting head of state who is worth it. You know, we were blessed to have our kids together with us for Christmas this year, and we cleaned the house, and we washed the sheets, and we made the beds, and we bought the food and all the drink that, that we would want to prepare for them to make them feel welcome, and it was wearying. But it was worth it, right? Now, imagine if it had been Amelia's parents coming to visit. Maybe we'd want to honor them even more, or the president, or, or the queen, or or your favorite sports hero or, or rock star, somebody that you look up to. If we get that, when it comes to family or to important or significant people, what would it look like to prepare the way to see God? To make things ready based on his greatness, his worth. I, Isaiah is saying, prepare yourselves to see and respond to the glory of the Lord. And that does not mean, man, I've really got to clean up my act then. Boy, or, or you know, I've, I've got to make myself feel bad enough about what I've done that, that God will be happy with how unhappy I am over, you know, how I've messed up. No, that, that's not it at all. See, when we see God's goodness, when, when we see his heart of kindness and compassion and grace and love and mercy and comfort, it, that's supposed to grab us and sink down deep to our heart. Knowing that if that's what God is like, and that's his message to you, that's good news. It's, it's about removing fear and burden and guilt and shame from people who know that they are messed up and can't fix themselves. You see, it's, it's a gracious invitation to step out of my little kingdom where I want everyone to acknowledge my greatness and my worth and my wisdom and to bow down and listen to me to step into a bigger and better kingdom where we all bow down together and acknowledge God's greatness and God's wisdom and God's glory. Many of you are familiar that in the days of Jesus, a man named John the Baptist preached about God's kingdom, about God's rule, and called people to change their ways. And he took these verses from Isaiah and applied them to himself. He said, I am the one, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. 
You know, Jesus tells a story about a man who finds a, a treasure in a field. And in his excitement and in his joy, he goes and he sells everything else he has in order to have that treasure. And he says, that's what it's like when you find me. When you put yourself under my rule and my reign in your life, it's like finding treasure. And, and when you see what I am worth, all the other stuff that seems so important and that we chase after and that wears us out and that creates worry and stress, they become smaller. They, they become less overwhelming. See, that's why there's encouragement, comfort in seeing the surpassing greatness, the worthiness of Jesus. And it's an encouragement that if you have seen it, if you have laid hold and trusted in the worthiness, the glory of Jesus, and made that what your life is about, you have it. There is no greater treasure out there to find. It takes the pressure off. It, it, you see how that removes so much of the worry and the stress about all the stuff that wears us down? There's an encouragement here also in this promise that the glory of the Lord, the greatness of Yahweh, God, shall be revealed and everyone, all flesh, will see it together. One day, everyone will see what Jesus is worth and see that you are not wasting your life and you are not being foolish to run after Jesus and make him the center. We're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment, but Jesus is worth it. He is worth it in the middle of everything you're going through, and that's what he wants you to hear right now in the middle of the weariness. Because Jesus is the one who has received sufferings more than enough to take away, to pay for all our sins. So that now we're in a position to receive double, to receive more from the Lord than all the suffering that we may experience in this life. And that, that promise that one day the glory of the Lord will be revealed Oh, that means one day, one day God is going to take away everything that makes it so hard for us to see what he's really worth. That one day, and even right now, we get to experience what it will look like to see him for what he is worth. And to know the joy of seeing this God of goodness and greatness face to face and rejoice in his presence. Oh, and God says, comfort my people, encourage them with this promise, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see the encouragement there? Yahweh, the Lord, is the only one who can absolutely guarantee that everything he intends will come to pass. And nothing can stop it. And nothing can undermine it. And it will happen. You know, the good news of Jesus, the good news of Christmas, of, of what we're celebrating at this time of year, is for people who are tired of seeing the bad news everywhere, in the world, in ourselves, 
all around us. You know, when, when John the Baptist again comes saying that the king is coming, the people said, oh, that's awesome. You know, God's going to straighten those people out because they really need to be humbled. What about you, John asked? Isaiah asked. Where do I need to humble myself before the Lord? For some of you, you've never come to the point of saying, God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry and I trust that Jesus with you, I am safe and I want you to rule in my world, in the world. Because with you there is grace and there is comfort and there is life. Let today be the day that you trust and follow Jesus in that way. Because you see, Isaiah is pointing us to, to Christmas. Christmas is about God coming to earth in the person of his son Jesus and living the sinless life that we ought to live but we don't and dying a sacrificial death in our place. And he does that to reconcile guilty people to a holy God and offer new life and comfort and strength and hope and encouragement to everyone who turns to him in faith. Christmas, this message of Isaiah is good news for broken, desperate, weary, tired people. Because life apart from Jesus is a lot of work and very tiring. Comfort, encouragement, strength comes from seeing God's heart, from seeing his goodness, from seeing his greatness. So as we go through this series in coming weeks, look for that. Look for that throughout these chapters of Isaiah and look for it in this coming week. Be encouraged. God is great. God is good. God is for you in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, I don't know about everyone else here, but I come to you tired. It has been a week, a month, a year. For some of us, maybe years. We thank you that your word to your people is comfort and courage strengthen. Oh God, help us. Help us to see you, to see your goodness, to see your greatness, and to find in you the strength, the hope, the life that we need. Father, if there are people here who have never come to know you in that way, I pray today would be the day that they would pray and say, God, I am a mess I am beyond myself. Save me, help me. Help me to know your strength, your forgiveness, your life, your encouragement. Oh God, we all need it. Encourage us with your heart and knowing you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.